You're listening to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church. Located in Chelsea, Alabama, we value community, fellowship, and love for people from all walks of life. For more information, find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook. Uh, We're in our sermon series through the book of John, uh, and, and John's a little bit unique. It's a different book than the other Gospels in a lot of ways. We're going to be talking about that as we go through. It's different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's kind of a, a, a gospel narrative uh, on its own, and you'll see more about that today, and we'll see more of that, about that moving forward. So uh, we're in our, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to uh, John 2, uh, 13 through 25. If you do not have your Bible, as always, for your convenience, we have it printed in the order of worship. So last week we looked at the idea of Jesus turning the water into wine. And we began to talk about the idea that why did he do it? He did it simply to keep the party going for first of all. Which show us a little bit about the part of, that religious people don't like to talk about Jesus. That he actually, uh, people want him at parties. He hung out with people that, that, uh, you know, that a lot of people would say he shouldn't be hanging out with. They called him a drunk and a glutton. These are the kind of things that people don't like to talk about. John and the other Gospels are very clear about that. Um, And not only that, uh, today, we call that the Lord of the Feast. Today's sermon is the Lord of the Temple. We're going to look at another part of Jesus that religious people don't want to talk about. And that is uh, the idea that Jesus became angry. Uh, I'm talking about bar fight mad. As angry as all get out. Have you ever seen a carpenter man? You're working construction? I have, and it is not pretty. Um, and we forget that about Jesus. Uh, but it's also the Son of God, right? And, uh, but have you ever thought about what it looks like for Jesus to be mad? Uh, so what makes Jesus mad? What makes him angry? Well, we're about to see that today as we look at Jesus walking into the temple, the temple of God, the main church at the time, and he is about to go ballistic. Are you interested? Let's look at our passage for today. So uh, let's read it. Like I said, if you have your Bibles, it's John 2, 4, in our order of worship. It says here, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple, he found those that were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers, and he overturned the tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews went to him and said, What sign do you have for doing these things? And Jesus answered them. He said it this way, Destroy this temple. Three days I will raise it up. And the Jews said, It's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Verse 23, now when he was in the 
Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, give us clarity today. Uh, give me uh, clarity in, in my, my speech and my thoughts. Um, help us all to, to receive well what you would have us to say. Help us to suspend maybe some preconceived notions that we have about you. And let your scripture speak to our hearts and illuminate our minds and refresh our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as you know, uh, as a pastor um, and a member of this church, I interact with a lot of uh, folks, either in my driveway or out in the community, uh, just everyday life. And a lot of these folks are atheists or, or agnostics, uh, people that love to hang out with me and other people in our church. But once they realize that I'm a pastor, um, they, they, they begin to talk about things and, and say things like, you know, I hate God, or I don't like the church, uh, or I can't stand religion. I hear this all the time, more than you would think in a place like Chelsea. And there's a lot of uh, uh, people, and I appreciate their honesty about this, but a lot of times I ask them this question as a follow-up, and I borrowed this from a pastor named Tim Keller, uh, and, and, and I say this, tell me what you don't like about Christianity and the church and God, and they tell me. And again, I appreciate their honesty. But I also say this, listen, if I thought that about God, if I thought what you think about Christianity and about the church uh, and the Bible, I probably wouldn't believe it either. You're, it, it's really not what we believe. See, the majority of people that have, have a very untrue understanding of what Christianity is really all about, and I see it all the time, and let's be honest, for the most part, People like us, churches, and religious people are to blame for that. So today, we're going to talk about this. We're going to be confronted with some things that Jesus hated by way of uh, notions, false notions, false religion about his father and about his followers. So what did Jesus hate about the religious community that was there and how they set up a false understanding about how people should approach God, our Father, and how they can enter into a relationship with Him to point to the point where He became violent. So let's talk about that today. We're going to look at three points, uh, and those are in the order of worship. We're going to talk about Jesus at the temple. We're going to talk about Jesus explaining the temple, and then we're going to talk about Jesus beyond the temple. So let's look at uh, the first point today, Jesus at the temple. Look at verse 13. So the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and He went up to Jerusalem, which is the main place like it was the Mecca of the religion at the time. Um, in the temple where he found those selling oxen, sheep, pigeons, and the money changers sitting there, he made a whip of cords and he drove all out of the temple when he got there. And the sheep, oxen, all the animals. And he pours out the coins of the money changers and he overturns the tables. And he told those that sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. And his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Okay, so to understand this passage for today, you need to think about it like this. What if somebody walked in at this moment in the middle of our service 
uh, walked in this morning and started throwing tables over, uh, and not just chairs and not by accident, like throwing the table over, knocking the coffee over, um, you know, everything's on the floor, maybe the offering, everything's just on the floor. Well, the first thing we would say, we, we, we would be shocked, right? Um, and we would say, you better come up with a good reason in a hurry. Uh, I mean, this is Alabama, right? Um, but the, the, the experience that you are imagining is the same that the folks felt in this passage, except for there was a valid reason for it. See, Jesus was always intentional and had good reasons for everything we did. This is not Jesus losing control. This is not Jesus uh, all of a sudden having a bad day. Everything he did was for a reason. And the folks that knew the ancient prophecies in this passage knew why. Especially the disciples, the followers of Jesus, they remember passages that remind them, like, this is going to happen, something like this. But let me step back here. To understand the whole situation, you've got to think about it like this. See, here at the temple, the Jewish people came from all over the world. First century Jews came to the Passover. It was their time of once a year coming here and making a sacrifice to the Lord according to their worship practices and the customs of the day. See, the idea was simple. Like, why, why, were they, why were they doing this? The idea was simple. Bring an animal to be sacrificed on behalf of you and your family that represents the fact that you have sinned and pointed to the fact that there was a cost for that sin, a blood sacrifice needed to pay, be paid as a substitution for your sins. See, worship at the main temple was a big deal. But it was also impractical. All these people around the world, they're, they're having to bring animals from, from miles around. So it was impractical in the way that they, they, they just couldn't do that. So when they first get there, first of all, they're all required to pay a temple tax. And the money changers were there to help them convert the Roman money, which wasn't allowed to be used in the temple, the Roman money that had pagan bottoms on it, to other coinage that would be acceptable in the house of the worship. This is not inherently evil, but these practices became an occasion for exploitation. For exploitation. See, they were the equivalent of loan sharks. These poor people, these pilgrims, were, were, were coming from all over the world, and they had these rates of, 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 of these exorbitant rates to change money, and then they were exploiting the poor, because the poor, they were overcharging them for the animals that they needed when they got there. And so we have two things going on. First of all, they're, they're, the exchange rate was off out the roof. And then second of all, they're taking advantage of the poor people because they couldn't bring their animals there over a long course of time. And they're charging a lot of money for these things. Again, loan sharks in the place of worship. Shysters in the house of God. Profiting off the down and outers and the spirit that are both down and outers spiritually but also financially. And unfortunately, we have seen this in the history of the world, even in the church. And Jesus saw this, and he became angry, and he makes a whip, and he starts whipping people, and whipping animals, and starts pouring all the money out of the ground. They don't know whose money it is now, it's just all poured out of the ground, turning tables over. Things that you would never think when you think of Jesus Christ. So, let's look at the second part here. Jesus explained in the temple. Here's his explanation. Because the Jews are about to ask him, you better come up with something quick. Verse 18, he says, So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show for doing these things? And Jesus said, Destroy this temple. Three days I'll raise it up. 
And the Jews said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about his temple of his body when therefore he would be raised from the dead. And the disciples remembered that he had said this later and they believed scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So it's not just the loan sharks. You notice this? It's not the loan sharks. It's not the money changers that are getting upset. It's the religious folks, which makes you think they're probably getting a cut out of this deal. All of this is so shady. And they're just exploiting the poor. And exploiting the house of God. And Jesus is in a, in a, in a moment of just indignant, uh, righteous anger. And then they say this. They're not asking for, for the reason that he caused uh, mass destruction, but they're really asking what his credentials are. You notice what they said? Like, what, what sign do you have to do all these things? They're basically saying, you think you've got to say over God's temple? What authority do you have? We're the religious leaders here. What makes you think you can come in and do this? What makes you think you have a say in what's going on? Who has the authority here? Now, the answer is odd at the beginning. And Jesus faithfully has a little play on words. He said, this, he basically says this, this place you're already doing right now, it's going to be destroyed. It's all about to come down. And now, they get stuck on the temple. And they say, it took 46 years to build this temple. You're going to say you're going to bring it down? Uh, and, and you can do it in three? And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You don't get it. This is what we all got to get about the passage today. He's not saying that this isn't about the temple. He's like, I am the temple. He's basically saying, you want to come at some something? Temple? The temple's not the matter. I am the temple. Come at me. Um, he's basically saying, uh, you want to you you change the, the, the tables here? You want to turn the tables here? You're like, come at me. And eventually they will, right? They're going to kill him. And he knows it. But he says, you do it, and I'll be resurrected in three days. See, at this point, you begin to understand that Jesus, who he is and what he is about, is not just about him turning the tables uh, physically, but he's turning the tables spiritually and religiously. He's saying from this point on, this is what a lot of people don't get, from this point on, the temple is irrelevant. Now that I'm here, you go through me to get to the Father. Not the temple, not religion. It's about relationship. And it was so radical. See, we cannot understand because of where we are right now the importance of this act. It showed Jesus having authority and being in charge of the temple. It was a messianic task of showing that he was the Messiah. And it put him at odds with the religious people of the day more than you can ever imagine. And more than that, Jesus is talking about his body as a temple. Later, he's going to be raised from the dead. And the disciples remember what he said. And they put two and two together. And they believe both what was written in Scripture and what he said. Which brings us to point three. Jesus beyond the temple. Look at the verse 23. Now when he was in the Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name and they saw the signs of what he's doing. But Jesus, on his part, he did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. See, during the time that he was in Jerusalem, in those days of the Passover feast, people noticed these signs that he's displaying, seeing that they point directly to God. This is what the book of John talks about over and over, showing the deed of Christ through the miracles that he does uh, in this way. And they begin to entrust their lives to Jesus. But Jesus did not entrust his lives to them. Why? Because he knew 
humans inside and out. He knew how untrustworthy they were. He didn't need any help seeing right through them. He was calling them to trust him, and he did not trust them to really believe. And many who believe or said they believe will later deny him and desert him, and Jesus saw it coming. But here's what I go, want to go back to today. Jesus' cleansing of the temple at the very least illustrates that he is concerned with purity of worship. And here's what I mean by that. When you think about purity of worship, many people talk about the liturgy uh, or the, 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 the different rituals that we do when we come to the worship service. That's not what I'm talking about here. He was concerned with purity of worship in this, how we come every Sunday morning or every day and how we view God and how we approach God. That's what he's mostly concerned with, not what songs necessarily we sing, or not what liturgy we use. Look at our quote from the day. Um, it's in the beginning of the order of worship. It's a quote by Matthew Henry. He says this, If God be our Father in heaven, and it is therefore our desire that his name may be sanctified, but cannot be our grief, but, but it cannot be our grief to see it polluted. Basically he's saying this, we should be grieved to see when the church messes up the message of who God is and the heart of the Father and what He's really after. When we see churches that are preaching something opposite of what Jesus says by way of saying, it's not what you do or don't, but it's been a relationship with the Father and coming through me. When we see that, we should be outraged by that. If that ever pops up in our church or people in our church uh, begin to talk like that, uh, we, we try to guide them to something better in that. Not only in our church, but our personal lives, because we're, we're constantly have to be asking questions. Our, see, our church and our lives, who are we in our community? What do our community know us as? What do our neighbors know about us? Are we actually representing God through our lives and through our church, or are we misrepresenting Him? And who are we as His Father? Are we embodying the truth? Are we the truth about God and what it's about? See, the moral to the story today is this. There are so many roadblocks that can be manufactured in our lives and in a church like ours that would cause obstacles, be manufactured obstacles that create a, a, a chasm between God and other people. See, the temple in Jerusalem had become a series of obstacles for people, hoops to jump through instead of pointing people to God. I pray that our church never becomes that. And at the worship at our church like us, uh, Chris and Valerie and I as your worship leaders all the time, we try to think about how can we not present a distraction but point people directly to the Father and who He is. We want to make clear paths to God, not distract people from God. And we all have personal roadblocks that we do in our own life. Like when we convey Christianity as, you know, either in our minds or convey it to other people as doing all the right things, we're misrepresenting and we're putting a roadblock up. When we talk about the idea that, that, that winning God's approval is about working harder, we're putting up obstacles in the same way the temple was to who God is. See, the church and religion can be very deceiving, just like the temple. You think you're doing all these right things, and they can be a distraction, and, and it can be worse of an opportunity to misunderstand and lead people astray in that. See, religion can make you think you're doing something true and right and lead you astray. Jesus never will. He knows the Father. He knows the heart of the Father. He's the Son of the Father. 
Don't trust religion. Don't trust Chelsea Press. Don't trust the church. Trust Jesus and His Word to bring you to the Father. Because in the end, we, we, we begin to realize this. It's not really about the temple that we're talking about today. The temple's gone. It's about ourselves that need cleansing. We're the ones that need Jesus to take the whips and overturn the tables in our lives because we've created so many falsehoods about who God is and, and, and how to get to the Father. See, many Christians today are eagerly expecting a day when the physical temple is going to be in Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. And they put so much hope in that, and that is so misguided. And it misses the point. Today's passage tells us that the only temple that we should be looking forward to is the temple that is Christ's body that we will see in the new heavens and the new earth. The temple pointed to Christ, and Christ is the one that points to the Father. He is the fulfillment of the temple and the church. So let's love Christ and his people and trust, trust organized religion less. Contemplate that today as we come to the communion table and come to the body, the blood of Jesus, the temple of Jesus today. Let's pray. Father God, thank you uh, that you are a temple. You have taken away so many things that at some point became cumbersome and legalistic. And you came to the temple in moments like this and you blew it up so that we can have the freedom to not trust in ourselves, to not trust in man, not trust in uh, the temple or organized religion, but to trust in you. May we be as a church and as members of this church, people that communicate that message well, that it's the work that you did in life and death and your resurrection. It's not anything that we can do. Lord, get us off of this treadmill of trying to do it all right. Get us off of this treadmill of, of, of just thinking that we've got to win your favor. What kind of father would I be if my daughter felt like she had to win my favor? Why would we do that to you? Help us not to do that to you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church, and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseapres.org or check us out on Facebook.